Oh, hey guys, Daryl Williams here with a brand new episode and a brand new podcast. That's right. This is the inaugural first episode of Don't Spare the Details. Uh, let me tell you all about it. I don't have a lot of time to ingest everything out there. Obviously, there's so much stuff out there that is amazing. Books, TV shows, movies, graphic novels, everything under the sun is out there, and I don't know everything out there. I've watched a lot myself, but I haven't seen or ingested everything. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take guests, bring them on this show, and have them tell me all about something they've ingested, something they love, something they know everything about, and basically fill me in so I don't have to do it myself and read or watch or do any of that it's going to be amazing. And with that said, my first guest is Zach Hillman. He is a great guy, one of my coolest friends. And with that said, he is going to tell me all about William Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury. But Zach Hillman, don't spare the details. Daryl, I'm so happy. I'm so happy you had me on. I'm, I I love the idea. This is going to be fun, man. Hell yeah. So Hell yeah. obviously uh, you find yourself as a uh, connoisseur of things entertainment, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I, uh, I went through a period in my life where I didn't really watch movies, uh, but I, I sort of came around on that. You were like movies. Who wants to watch those? Ugh. Well, yeah, I had a, I had real just like aesthetic reasons for not supporting the medium itself. Um, but those eventually like wore away when I saw enough good movies. You were trying to impress a girl or something, or oh my god, that's like the opposite of the way to impress a girl. Like everyone watches movies, and if you're like, I'm a person that doesn't enjoy watching movies. It really fucking turns people off quick. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I eventually relented, and uh, you know, in in dating Christina and eventually getting married, she loves movies and like forced me to go to enough movies to the point where like I began discussing them, similar to how I would discuss uh you know literature or uh, TV even in the past, and uh, yeah, sort of uh, sort of helped me to see the light. I remember dating a girl once, and I asked her what type of music she was into, and she said, I don't like music. And I'm like, oh, at all? Like, deal breaker. you don't like the whole genre of music? Mm-mm. And she's like, yeah. That's crazy. And, uh, you know, two months later, I married her. Yeah, that's that's like marrying someone who doesn't like movies. I mean, why would anyone do that? I don't know, but it's weird that somebody just doesn't like a completely you know a whole genre of uh entertainment yeah i can understand like i don't prefer death metal or i don't like polka well but (laughs) even even music is such a like it's it distills one you know sensory uh perception it's just listening to be like, man, I don't like, I don't like hearing things. You know, that's it. Almost feels like I don't like hearing things. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like feeling emotions. It'd be like I just, I don't like touching things. You know, I mean, like I wash my mm-hmm. hands when I have to, but other than that, I really try to avoid 
coming into contact with anything at all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like what else? I was thinking like food, like taste is kind of, but even that is involved with your sense of smell. And like those two things are related. You could, mm-hmm. I guess art is just looking at things. But a lot of times the environment that you see something in and, you know, there can be sounds playing or, you know, just you're you're in an environment usually when you're going at something just to look at it. Uh, yeah, I think, I don't know. What, what, what else would be so purely one sense as a medium? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, probably, yeah. Um, watching a silent movie. But even then, you have, yeah. like, a piano playing in the background. Right, yeah. Maybe, like, sampling colognes? No, I drink my cologne, so you can't do that. What, what do you say to guys that are those types of individuals that don't have a TV and they love to tell you it as the first thing they open with when they meet you? Um, I mean, those people probably have computers, so I assume that they still, like consume visual media i mean i I don't know are they do they live in a completely screenless household because that would that would be somewhat impressive in this day and age uh but yeah if they're if they're being an annoying you know like if they're basically rubbing their face your face in the fact that they're better than you because they don't (laughs) watch tv and that's just kind of that's you know what that's like borderline ignorant nowadays because television storytelling is going through such an amazing like golden era now i i feel like tv as a medium is actually finally really hitting its stride you know i hope i can be that way someday like you know be that old curmudgeon guy or that that cool hipster where i could be like oh i don't do vr oh i don't do the singularity yeah (laughs) I mean, that's so, you know, I mean, some I people I haven't do downloaded that. my genome to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm better than you. They can't replicate me, sir. I only stick to uh, 4K DVDs. That's my preferred way of ingesting media. Yeah, I only ingest the red pill. <laughs> right. Um, Okay, so we're talking about The Sound and the Fury, and obviously I've never read this book, but Zach has. I have. I've read this a few times. I think I've read this uh, three times, maybe four times, but definitely three. So you obviously uh, know a little bit about it, I guess. I'm yeah, I'm fairly familiar. You would call yourself a, a pseudo expert. I, uh, you know, we uh, when I when I majored in uh, in English in college, we had the opportunity to take uh, a seminar. It could either be uh, a British modern uh, survey or sorry, not survey seminar. So it was basically you chose between Virginia Woolf and William Faulkner. Uh, and I chose Faulkner um, and nothing against Virginia Woolf. Her novels are every bit as amazing as William Faulkner's. But, oh, my God, taking that seminar was friggin' life-changing for me. Like, I already liked William Faulkner before, but taking that seminar, I was like, this guy's the best writer ever. Like, I just, I fell in love with his writing. 
uh, and uh, I made you know overtures to his uh, to his ghost uh, in an attempt to get him to uh, possess me or at least you know <laughs> bugger me a little bit. You know, I was open to anything anything involving Faulkner and Faulkner's ghost. You wanted to get accosted by the ghost of William Faulkner? I mean, you make it sound non-consensual, Daryl, and that's not the case. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> There'd be a lot of consent involved in this. There there would be constant verbal confirmation at every step, mm-hmm. no matter no matter what happened. Oh, yeah. What's the opposite of uh, non-consent? And don't say consent. It's like the actual, like, you know, I, I don't want to just give consent. I want to ask for it. Yeah, I mean, like, are you talking about from the person receiving the consent or the person authoring the consent? Receiving it. would I, I would think it would be like every thrust. You're like, are you still okay with this? Is this still cool? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are we still doing this? Are we still feeling this? You're so into William Faulkner that not only would you say yes to his sexual advances, but you would ask for him to use the quill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just you know, tap me up with your, with your like, dirty feather, Willie Falk balls. Mm-hmm. Just falk me, <laughs> falk me right in the ass. That feather doesn't have to just be put in the ink; it could be put yeah. elsewhere. If just, you know what I mean. Just tickle my gooch, you, you silly Southerner. Just <laughs> go to town, Faulkner. Put it up yeah. my ass already. <laughs> I don't know, Falk. Faulkner was such a like <laughs> drunk and a womanizer. I don't think he was probably probably had better options. Than, yeah, you know me. He didn't swing uh, to the likes of a uh, young, naive white man. I was. Uh, I don't think I was all that young when I took that class. I was in college for a long, <laughs> long time. But maybe still precocious. But yeah, yeah. I guess precocious. You know, not. Not knowledgeable about the ways of the world still. Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was sort of during my uh, my more aimless years when the only thing I was really good at was taking class, but I didn't I didn't know how to graduate. <laughs> I didn't know how to take the classes ah. that would lead me to graduate. I was just like, oh yeah, you know, I'll take another like British literature. Wait, survey. I gotta take a certain amount of class <laughs> in one subject. Yeah. Oh, man. No, it's crazy. I was in college so long, uh, and I like never ever did my GEs. So I I walked at Long Beach State because mm-hmm. I had finished all my like major requirements, and I was within you know the certain number of units that you're you're eligible to walk, even though you haven't graduated yet. Uh, and so I wound up finishing my GEs at like the local community college. <laughs> And so, like, I spent a year in college after I walked for graduation just taking, like, those last two classes, which was, like, um, a biological science and then, like, a social science. They call that the Van Wilder track. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think I had as much sex as Van Wilder. Definitely not with Faulkner's Ghost. Definitely... Right. Not that. <laughs> okay, so exactly. right off the bat, that was my first question. Once you tell me all about this, is this going to get me laid? It yeah. Um with with a very specific um think of the mousiest person that you've ever met. Mhm. 
it will it will get you laid with that person. Cool. Okay, so do you want to get into some of the details? Like, obviously, we already said this is a William Faulkner novel. Is this his first one, second one? What's what's the, the time frame of lineage? This is Faulkner's uh, fourth novel. Um, okay, so it uh, so everybody loves a, some some William Faulkner. They're like, what else do you got, man? Well, he, you know, it wasn't very, uh, it wasn't very like publicly acclaimed when it first came out. It was actually after he wrote um, a couple of other books, and one book in particular uh, called Sanctuary, where um, it's also a Southern Gothic, but it focuses on a rape. Um, so it was sort of like sensationalized and like you know taboo. Uh, so it's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a it's about this guy named Daryl, and he builds a time machine, and he goes back and he fucks himself when he's yeah. fourteen. Yeah, it's it's a hoot and a holler. <laughs> Sounds like the plot of Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, if I could turn back time, or is that is that how that Huey Lewis song goes? <laughs> no, it's the power of love. Yeah, there's some saxophone. That's the power of love. <laughs> okay, so we're not talking about that. We're talking about the Sound and Fury fourth novel. Of William Faulkner mm-hmm. becomes popular after he has this uh, this breakout novel, which is which isn't even like considered one of his like the Mount Rushmore of Faulkner novels. Sanctuary is not on it. It's it's like the Sound and the Fury, As I Lay Dying, Absalom, Absalom, and then um, like Go Down Moses is probably on there as well. He yeah he's. Mm-hmm. He's a, a very freaking accomplished writer. Um, it came out in uh, 1929. Like notable things about the book, I would say, are that it uses um, it uses stream of consciousness narrative style, uh, which is which was kind of an emerging technique at that time, and is considered to be one of the like pioneering works in stream of consciousness writing. When is this published or written? This was this was published in 1929, so it's coming up on its 100-year anniversary. Uh, and when that nice. happens, I will just be jacking off for the whole year. It'll 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 okay. be fun. Yeah. Well, we'll get we'll we have a few years before uh, we got to get our our splash zone created yeah. for his monumentous ejaculation. Yeah. The Gallagher status, yeah. Just be ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch out for Zach's jizzomatic. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was just going to crush watermelons. I didn't know he was going to be jacking off. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> He's crushing his balls. Oh, my God. <laughs> With the mallet still. I know. Yeah. He's into some weird... St- he likes... He's into ghosts. Too. Yeah. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> Seems like you can only do that for one show. <laughs> it's a great trick, but I can only do it once. <laughs> yep, definitely. Okay, so the Sound and Fury. Not knowing anything about this, and knowing that it's a uh, William Faulkner novel, I'm guessing this is about a sassy white jazz player trying to make it in the hard, harsh. African-American society that is populating the jazz community at the time, and he's just trying to make it. Is that right? Oh. You know, he's, and then he's just getting upset because they're not letting him in. 
Is that what I'm? Is that what I'm guessing? Uh, you uh, you nailed it. Uh, minus the uh, the theme of incest. You you were so close, Daryl. So this guy is a, a, a yeah. He's born from incest. Right. His mom and dad were brother and sister, but also uncle and cousin. Right. So he basically is born and then becomes a jazz musician. It's because of his his genetic cross-contamination that he has the seventh finger that allows him to unlock that note on the saxophone that oh, so right. few can play. Yeah, Of course. It's like that second octave key that only the greats can play. Yeah, it's it's basically like him and Charlie Bird and... Uh, and that guy who was in the Rolling Stones for a while, Bobby Keys, they're like the three guys that can do it. Okay, okay. So I am actually correct. This is I'm the, I'm legit uh, right on this. Yeah, no, you nailed it a hundred percent. Cool. Well, then, guys, uh, we'll call it a podcast. We can That's just it. end it there. We're uh, done. I already guessed. Yeah. That's what the. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> we don't have to have you get into it because I already guessed it. I already guessed it right. You already nailed it. I mean, do you want to know about any of the subplots? Uh, I mean, I guess we could get into that. Okay, so right. let's start from the beginning, <laughs> and um, we'll just fill in uh, the details. Or should we say, don't spare the details? I shall not, sir. Okay, so cast of characters. Who do we got playing in this in this novel? Okay, well, one of the uh, one of the important things, I guess... Uh, to understand about this novel is that it's not it's not really told like oh you know a happens and then b happens and then c happens uh it's more told from like one character's perspective and then another character's perspective and then a you know third and a fourth so the way that they remember okay. events or misremember events or the prejudices that they bring to their memories of the event are like very important Whoa. in not just revealing their character, but in like shaping our understanding of, you know, of complementary characters as well. Um, so the main family that the book focuses on is the Compson family. Um, and the Compson family, uh, they're based out of uh, Jefferson, Mississippi. Um, it's a it's a formerly like a like a very prestigious family uh that in the present of the novel has fallen on hard times so when we when we open on the novel we're focusing on the youngest Compson's son his name is Benji and he is mentally disabled oh this is already like super fun yeah this is already so fun yeah. Okay, so this is a uplifting story. This is a comedy, right? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, there it's it's pretty much like uh have you ever seen that Fairly Brothers movie, The Ringer? Yes. Oh, I haven't. Maybe I should do a podcast and you should tell me about The Ringer. Yeah, okay. Well, when we flip sides yeah. oh, and we uh, have you guest co-host, we'll have you, I'll talk to you all about The Ringer. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of parallels from this book as well as to that, you know? Yeah, 
I'm sure when people were reviewing The Ringer, they were like, wow, this is a lot like Faulkner. This is, this is pretty much the sound and the fury, uh, except he's competing in the Special Olympics instead of crying every time he watches right. people play golf. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'm assuming people that have seen and read both, it's going to be very close together. But okay, so we have the uh, Compson. How do you spell it? Uh, C-O-M-P-S-O-N. I'm pretty sure I have the I have the Wikipedia right here. Okay, Compson. I thought you said Compton for a second. <laughs> no, that's that's a NWA and the Fury. That's a that's a different novel, mm-hmm. my friend. It's a different novel. So we have the Compson family, right? How do they refer to Benji? Do they say that he's special or that he has a little bit of dusting of something? Or how do they say he has needs? Well, they... Okay, so it kind of depends on who you ask. And what kind of needs are we talking about? Special needs... Basically, he's um, he's not fully developed mentally. They say that he has the mental capacity of a... Uh, three or four year old child he can't really speak or communicate but you know he has he has basic wants and needs he um he has like all sensory perceptions he's less functional than lenny in of mice and men no uh, yeah 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 yeah. he's he's definitely less advanced than lenny's like a simpleton whereas benji is he's He's definitely like disabled, born without the the capacity. Um, the way they discuss it in the novel. Um, so, like, <laughs> if Lenny met Benji, yeah, he'd be like petting the rabbit and watching Benji eat paint. Yeah, <laughs> and he'd be like, "What a retard!" Yeah, no. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing is like Benji's. Benji will have a flower and it'll make him happy, and then someone will like accidentally break the flower and then he'll start crying so so it's a lot like lenny he just doesn't have any verbal capacity to express what he's going through and do you relate to this when you read this do i relate do you do you cry for him as well it's a pretty like depressing story to read it is a it is not it's not like a lighthearted, joyful read (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you, when I told you off air, hey, what is a good story to tell me all about? I'm glad that you thought of this story. Like, hey, what's a really good depressing story to tell Daryl about? It's not too late to switch streams and talk about Mission Hill instead. I can, <laughs> I can, I can change gears, man. I can change gears if this is too deep no, and depressing. I, like this. Then... I, I feel like this is more, um, this is going to get me more chicks, more reps or more street cred. You know, obviously there's a, you know, it's going on the hundredth year anniversary. So there's going to be a lot of people that are like, Hey, have you read this? And I'm going to be like, uh, yeah, dude, tension's going to be high. There's going to, yeah, there's going to be smoking hot babes are going to be, are going to be all at those literary conventions, Mm -hmm. man. And if you, you, you want to be on those front lines, catching some of that Faulkner puss, you know what I mean? Right. And that's the thing, though, is that I don't want to actually have to read it. I'm just going to get you to tell me all about it, and then I'll still get the sweet, sweet, uh, groupy 
Faulkner bitches. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. That Faulkner scooch. Yeah. Well, what should we call them? What should we call, yeah, you know, Faulkner w- women or women that love Faulkner? Faulknerds. Oh, Faulknerds. I like that. But that's not, that doesn't imply their hotness. Or or like Faulkners. Or uh, down to Faulkners. Oh, there you go. Down to Faulkners. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Little, some DTFs on the scene, you know what I mean? I get it. I get it. Okay, okay. So yeah. So Benji's a little special. He uh, cries when it when people break his flowers, which is uh, legit. You know, I would do the same too. Yeah, flowers are nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, if someone gave me a flower to make me happy and someone else broke it, I'd be I'd be a little bit upset. Okay. So how old is he actually? You know, he's mentally three or four, but how old is his physical body he is about 33 as i recall okay i i think he's 33 because i've heard that there's an allegory between him and christ and christ was 33 yes when he died so it's supposed to be like and the the last chapter of the book takes place on a easter sunday 1928 I remember Jesus also being special as well. He was he was special, um, but he was able to fix his flowers with his dad magic. Yeah, he he saved an extra ring of hell for the all the people that stepped on his flowers. Yeah, exactly. And also, he multiplied loaves and fishes and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, you know, throw threw the moneylenders out of the temple. Uh, you know, prayed for 40 days and 40 nights or some shit. And yeah, you know, all the good stuff. Okay, so we're not we're not talking about the Bible. We're, we're not here to talk about the Bible. We're talking about the sound and the fury. <laughs> totally, totally here to talk about that. So clearly it's uh, a lot of parallels to uh, religious texts. Right. Which is, uh, I guess, a big theme in uh, early 20s American writing. Uh, it's, it's a thing in literary writing in general. I'd say, uh, yeah, it, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a work in the Western canon. Yeah, everybody's a hack. Yeah, where they don't ride <laughs> Jesus' coattails, basically. Sad. It's like we've heard this story before. It's already the Bible, and they're like, yeah, but this is new. It's not about a dude. It's about a girl. Yeah. Let me guess where they're going to drive the nails in. <sighs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear you, man. It's not about a last supper. It's about a last lunch. Yeah. It's a last froyo, man. They're just <laughs> Yeah, dog. So, I would read that. I oh, I want to see that painting. I want to see Da Vinci's painting of the last froyo, you know, just Jesus and 12 disciples all sitting around like a pink berry. That would be like the most amazingly sacrilegious thing that uh like a yogurt land could do is if they just had a mural where it was like all of the apostles like standing in line and they're all like some of them are getting yogurt and some of them are at the toppings bar and Jesus is just in the middle like yes. holding out his his perfect plain tart yogurt so pure you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course Jesus would only get plain yogurt yeah i wonder what christians would like that and which christians would hate that i feel like there's some that would like it mhm yeah those are called heathens. They're, yeah, they're the ones that are like Jesus wasn't a socialist. He wants you to. He wants you to mark up the price on your AIDS medicine, Martin Screlly. Okay, enough about Jesus. We're going back to Benji. So Benji's hanging out with his family. What kind of uh, stuff does he does he get into besides getting his flowers crunched? Um. Well, he uh 
he has a he has a all the Compson brothers actually I should say they have an infatuation with their uh, sister Caddy. Not weird at all. No, actually, I mean I think I think maybe one of the reasons that incest is such a topic in the South is because people lived on like large large parcels of land and maybe the only uh, females you would interact with were either um, the you know, your slaves, terrible, or your sister. Man, decisions, decisions. I, You know, you have two choices, and, you know, you're probably pretty friggin' racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, these, these kids were born in, like, uh, like, I think 1900? No, it's, like, 1895 is when Benji's born, and he's the youngest i'm i'm screwing up the math i'm sure but you get the picture so that you know they're not really born in an enlightened time right and you know they're born pretty much right after the south loses the civil war so bad times to be a special needs person in the south yeah they haven't really figured out you know special ed yet so (laughs) not a good time and at any rate, he has this uh, infatuation with his uh, with his sister Caddy. Yeah, um, and like a turning point for all of the Compson men is when they realize that their sister has lost her virginity, and it becomes this like huge emotional moment for all of them because they have this like psychosexual desire for her that they're all sort of coping with in their own way, um, and also they're all still virgins. And so it's, you know, it's kind of this this slight that like, oh, you lost your virginity and I haven't. And it's and it's also this thing of like, well, but we were pure. We were we were together and we were all in this. <laughs> we were all going to lose it together, but not in a gay way, in an incest way. In an incest way. <laughs> well, one of the characters actually um when their dad finds out that Benji or sorry, that Caddy has lost her virginity. The uh, the oldest son, Quentin, actually claims he like goes to the father and he's like, "Father, it was me. I did it. We committed incest." What an awkward conversation that must have been. <laughs> I know. He's like, his whole idea is like, if if I can convince him that I fucked my sister, then we can at least be punished together, and then we're still doing. We're still together. We're still equals. And it's like, God, it's so pathetic. Wow, this sounds like Jerry Springer before Jerry Springer. Oh my God, dude, right? Like, it's so, it takes a while to get into, and it's a very detailed novel that you have to pay a lot of attention to. (laughs) But it's so rewarding because every character is so fucked up, dude. It's great. I love it. All right, we have the Compson brothers. They say that they all want to fuck their sister, who's a virgin, but she actually wants to tell them all a secret. Also, one of them has special needs. Benji, Benji. what do you want to tell your sister? And then, like, I'm sorry. That was very offensive, but... That's how he's portrayed in the novel. Is just someone he's only capable of just making just noises. Yeah, basically. He just says, Ugh. "So yeah, kind of like a sloth in uh, the Goonies." Y- yeah, I've I've never seen the Goonies either. You got to tell me about that on my podcast where you explain things. 
Oh, well, then that's another... Man, we should be switching roles here. It looks like uh, I've, in fact, watched more media um, than you, uh, based on two things that I've referenced now. Yeah, basically. I mean... Uh, but no, I feel like... Um, yours yours would probably be more fun and involve well, less incest. That's what I think. It's probably true. It's very true. Um, but okay, so... Uh, Benji, he's a uh, hard up on his sister, very upset that uh, he didn't get to bust a nut in her first. Pretty much. Uh, who did she actually lose her virginity to? Um, you know, they don't actually know. They uh, er, ooh, a masked man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, none of the male characters actually know who she lost her virginity to. Uh, Quentin thinks he knows, and he actually winds up fighting a guy. This guy named Dalton Ames. Uh, and then, you know, Caddy comes and breaks up the fight and she promises never to talk to Dalton names again. Uh, and then she winds up getting pregnant and then she winds up marrying this other guy. Why doesn't she just sit all of her brothers down at some point and go, listen, guys, it was this guy. He deflowered me. Get over it. Because, because they're too proud. They're too, they're too proud and they're too ashamed. No one, no one ever talks about it, but they're all struggling to cope with it. And it's mm. like, oh my god, if you guys would just like do some family counseling, you could all, you know, fucking get over this shit, right? You know, they needed Jerry's final thought. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of family members are complex. Yeah, some want to have sex with their sisters, others don't want to have sex with their brothers, but they all have one thing in common communication communication is key amongst these situations and i for one always want to communicate with my partner especially when it comes to fucking a sibling yeah that's all the time we have i'm jerry i think he would also be like someone would accidentally break benji's flower and then he'd have to call in steve bilkos and then people would be like, Steve, Steve, mm-hmm. Steve, oh, Steve. Oh, right. There'd be yeah. a... <laughs> Benji would just be wearing Jerry, wearing, ah, Jerry. Ah, you know? Yeah. Ah, a flower. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, can man. you see why it wasn't a good idea for James Franco to play Benji in a movie? <laughs> like, you... Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So according to uh, the, yeah, the Wikipedia page, as well as uh, IMDb, uh, James Franco produced a movie of this and uh, played the Benji role, correct? That is correct. Ah, uh, you know, when I think of special needs, I think of James Franco. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he he did a he did a really good job with the disaster artist. Obviously, that happened like right before he became persona non grata. Oh, yeah. What if he actually played it the same way? He played like Tommy Wiseau the same way as Benji. <laughs> he was Benji. He's like, oh, no, you broke my flower guy <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> that i would pay mu- i would pay so much money to see that oh no buddy you had sex with Cardi as well hi no you can't have sex with Cardi. i want to have sex with Cardi. oh hi quentin yeah, it'd be weird. It'd be really weird. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, right? He was he was <laughs> pitching. He was going to do a whole series of um, Faulkner adaptations on um, on HBO. That sounds right. Yeah, and not just um, not just uh, 
like the novels, he was going to do some of the short stories too, like A Rose for Emily, which is like like the best uh, short story of all time, and like Dry <laughs> September and Red Leaves and some of the like really, really famous uh, Faulkner short stories. Um, yeah. Didn't he uh, actually write some uh, slash porn or some... Uh, some slam porn. Slam porn. What's slam porn? What do they call it? Slash. What do they call that? That that fan fiction. Yeah. Where slash they... <laughs> fiction. Where like people, they they call it slash fiction because you used to take two characters and you'd uh, and you'd have a VHS that you made where you cut it together and you make it look like Kirk and Spock were were fucking and you and so like the VHSs were like Kirk slash Spock, you know. So it was called slash fiction, right? Yeah, so Faulkner, he wrote his own slash fiction, right? Yeah, he <laughs> his his characters were like Don Quixote and Agamemnon though. He was <laughs> he was a little more esoteric than your regular Trekkie, you know? He was yeah. Yeah, Don, Don, he's all like and then Don Quixote uh, imagined six tentacles coming for him. <laughs> oh man. Although they were only fire hoses. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so so James Franco maybe not the perfect choice, uh, but for for this role. But also, should this role have been turned into a movie at all? I I think because you're dealing with like I don't think people have been cool with a character. Like the only time I've seen people cool with someone who's playing someone that's really like mentally disabled was uh was Leo in uh What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Correct. That's like the only time that I've seen people be like, "Oh, this was this was really amazing or this was life-changing." Um and I mean even Forrest Gump, it's kind of just like, "Oh, well he's you know, he's clearly doesn't have a whole lot of mental capacity, but he you know is is fully functioning and, you know, able to take care of himself and ambulatory and all that good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with Forrest Gump. I don't think it's going to hold the test of times, but how problematic is this story, do you think now? Do you think modern audiences would relate to uh, Benji, or do you think they're like, ugh, I don't want to, this is this is horrible. I mean, I think, I think that... Um, Benji is just as much a symbolic character as he is a flesh and blood character in The Sound and the Fury. Uh, just a little bit of background. Um, the Sound and the Fury, the title comes from a quote from Hamlet. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. So... Benji, in this case, very vulgarly, is the idiot. Yes, yeah, I get it. I get it. Right, and then his his cries are are sound and fury, are the sound and the fury. Yeah, exactly. What is Caddy described as? Is she a hottie or is she you know just kind of plain Jane? I mean, obviously, if all the Compson boys are so sprung on her all the time, you know. <laughs> But if the pickings are slim and there's not a lot of, you know, variety, maybe she's actually not that good looking and it's just like she's a female who cares. Well, but as they get older, there are other <laughs> other sisters, other dudes in the town that definitely want to 
want a want a sister swap with the Compsons, you know what I'm saying? Ah, it's like a 70s yeah. key party. Yeah, except they're like, "Hey, we'll all like put them in dark rooms and then we'll pretend we're going into someone else's sister's room, but really we'll be sleeping with our own sisters," you know? So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're after. We'll pretend that we all want to have sex with other people, but in fact, we actually want to have sex with each other. Wink wink, this is a sin. Yeah. It's pretty, mm-hmm. yes. pretty, pretty good stuff. Okay, so... So we've covered Benji. <laughs> I assume on a farm or some sort of... Yeah, it's... You said they're on a plantation, so what is their normal jobs, or, or what are they doing from day to day without... When they're not fantasizing about fucking their sister. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I say that the Compsons are a disgraced family, so it's assumed that they used to own a plantation or have a have slaves to work the land i think um and then they sort of um they sort of following the civil war they don't really have like a family business so much anymore but they you know they have this high status in the society of like oh we're you know we're landed gentry basically um and so you know later on like they wind up uh, like like Jason, the uh, who's in between Quentin and, uh, or sorry, he's in between Caddy and Benji and Age. He winds up working at a uh, at a farm goods store, and he sort of becomes the uh, the patriarch of the family, and he's just sort of like. And how many clerk. brothers are there? Sorry, there's uh there's three bu- brothers, Quentin, Jason and Benji, and then there's the sister, Caddy. Okay. So Benji has to complete compete with Jason and Quentin. And who do you think he has uh, more competition with? Oh, definitely Quentin. Quentin and Caddy are very close in age, and they're sort of like... They're like the closest in age. Ah. And so there's a, there's a lot of like flashbacks that Quentin has where... Um, where Benji isn't born yet. And you can kind of, like, one of the stream of consciousness tricks that you can use is like, oh, is Benji in this scene? Because if he is, it's after 1985 or whenever Benji is born. So it's like Marsha Brady and Greg Brady, Mm -hmm. and then you have Bobby and um, Peter. Yeah. But you don't have Jan. You don't have... Who was the the little one? And, And no Cindy. Cindy. Oh. Cindy. What a cutie patootie Cindy was. Nope, but we're just we we're we're focusing on the hottie Marsha, aka Caddy. Oh my god, so so hot. I would commit incest with her. Faux show. Yeah, so what about the parents though? Are the parents like saying like sitting them down and going like, Hey Quentin, I know you have a lot of feelings towards your sister. <laughs> I like that. I'm in, I'm I'm down. You should yeah. hit that for sure. Here, get give her your grandma's ring. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been in our family for generations. Go dig up your grandma because because we only marry within the family. So, here you go. Here's Right. Here's your grandma's ring. Her their parents are a real piece of work. The mom, Carolyn, if I'm remembering correctly, she is a total hypochondriac. Yeah. And she sort of develops this um this codependency with uh with Jason and Jason is her favorite. 
And so when Jason's little, she really coddles him. And then as Jason's an adult, he sort of becomes more, uh, more abusive. Um, but he ultimately needs his mother's affection in order to like, to feel valid. I'm guessing uh, Jason was breastfed till 22. There is, I feel like, I want to say that there is part of the novel where they talk about him being breastfed longer than is normal. Like, I don't, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. That's awesome. He, yeah. He's, he's definitely a mama's boy. For sure. No, I could read that in your description of him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the dad is this real alcoholic, nihilistic uh piece of shit who like gives what yeah he gives he gives quentin advice but it's really more like riddles and then the riddles just confuse quentin and then quentin just like can't live with himself anymore and then commits suicide oh wow okay so how far into the book does he commit suicide that's chapter two it's pretty early on early on in the narrative um and just so you know right but we we jump back that's a, yeah that's a flashback because when we meet when we first see Benji Quentin's already committed suicide like 12 or 15 years before that so just just backstory they sold part of their land in order to um fund Quentin being able to go to Harvard because Quentin's very intelligent so he got into Harvard and in order for them to pay for him to go they sold part of their land uh, Benji's favorite part. Uh, I don't know if that'll come up again later, but uh, he he goes off to uh, to Harvard, and like he he can't really relate to anyone. And I mean, uh, you know, when we're talking about people that he relates to, because nobody wants to have sex with their sisters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He we're talking about <laughs> relation relations. That's what we're talking about. You know. Um, and so, right. So he, uh, he, he really, uh, struggles with that. That's weird how you say that he's really intelligent, but he's, so he's smart, but not smart enough to think that incest is wrong. Well, it's, it's a subconscious desire to commit incest, right? It's never an outspoken, like, oh, you know, we should like try finger stuff or anything. Like there's never, there's never a like... You know, hey, we should really give this a go. There's like, you know, it's always this sort of like bubbling under the surface. Hey, guys, have you ever felt funny in your pants when you've seen your sister milk a cow? (laughs) Okay, so the way that they the way that they realize that she's lost her virginity is that she um, she climbs up a tree the day I forget whether it's the father or uncle dies, but they like kick all the kids out of the house and they're like, go play in the yard. Uh, And the sister climbs up a tree and they all realize they can look up her skirt and so they're all looking up her fucking skirt and then they realize her underwear is muddy because she was like fucking a dude (laughs) in the the holler basically awesome yeah 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 and so then they're like um why didn't i get a ticket you know (laughs) like they're, mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. all they're all pretty broken up about it. Yeah, it must have been the uncle. You know that's so funny. Mm-hmm. The that's how I got found out that I wasn't a virgin anymore. Is after I had sex with a girl, I immediately clam uh, climbed a tree. Yeah, and then my my sisters are like, Daryl, have you had sex? You just had sex, didn't you? you? Just 
I can tell from your muddy underwear, Daryl. And I was like, you know what? You're right, sis. You've been laying with a woman in the holler. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard it a thousand times before. I think this is how Obama and Michelle Obama got together. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's how they they hooked up. That's how they announced it to the world that they they finally they finally did it. Mm-hmm. They laid in a holler in South Chicago. They found the only holler, and they mm-hmm. they have lain there. And God saw it, and He said that it was good. Yeah, and that their union was godly. Oh man. And so he muddied their drawers. This is a tale as old yeah. as time. Is all this biblical language? Is <laughs> all this biblical language kind of turning you on? It is. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely getting turned on by all yeah, this incest. Uh, you didn't. I. I mean, I'm glad you didn't tell me from before. Like, I'm glad when we were discussing this off air. Like, what you know, what you were wanting to talk to me about. I didn't know it was going to be so seedy and filthy. Yeah, it's the ace in the hole of uh, of any Faulkner novel is the uh, the incest. I'm trying to think. Uh, As I Lay Dying doesn't have any incest. That's a pretty uh, incest free one, as I recall. Okay, what about Sanctuary? Sanctuary. <laughs> Sanctuary's about a rape, and I don't... I actually haven't read Sanctuary, so I'm going <laughs> to refrain from commenting. So he's hitting up all the hot topics. He's Yeah. He's hitting up incest, rape, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. He's, he's definitely going there. You know what I mean? He's not afraid. I always thought he was more of, you know, like a Dan Brown type of guy, you know, writing about crazy espionage, popes creating atomic bombs out of, like, antimatter. I had no idea that this was actually about a lot of incest <laughs> and a lot of special needs kids wanting to have incest. Wanting to have incest and hoping that their flowers don't get broken. Mm-hmm. That you see, he wants his flower taken, not broken. Is that a metaphor, too, like where they say, uh, you know, that she has been deflowered or maybe her flower got taken away or stepped on? That's, yeah. I think that's the the breaking of the of the flower, the old maidenhead flower. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, there's a lot of incest going on. People are dying. Also, brothers are not uh, having it. People are getting very upset. What are we gonna do? Like, is there like a big climax or some sort of like big like, you know? I feel like the there's been an inciting incident already. Which is she got deflowered and we don't know about it. Well, I think I think well, we don't know who did it. I think the reason that the deflowering is so important for so many of the characters is because they want they want to um, like actualize themselves as their own individuals. And mm. Caddy is the only character that's able to do that. And that her losing her virginity is seen as a divergence from her as a member of the family versus her becoming an individual. So I see. I I I'm pretty sure that Quentin dies a virgin. Uh Benji is actually castrated because he uh so <laughs> this is going to sound so bad. One day someone leaves the gate open and he goes out and attacks a pretty girl that he thinks is Caddy because, uh, hey, guess who he wants to fuck the most? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they so they lop his old balls off. Uh, and then Jason's whole section is just about how he is frustrated about money matters, 
um, and his girlfriend is a prostitute who lives in Memphis, not uh, not in uh, Mississippi. Um, and yeah, he is sexually and financially frustrated. Um, and yeah, basically, like, Caddy's the only one that ever fucks. She's the only one that ever loses that innocence in the course of the novel, at least of the main characters. So so she's not that caddy at all. She's not. And she's not that innocent. Okay, so <laughs> it sounds like a lot of these brothers have some problems. Yeah, like a lot of these brothers <laughs> didn't really get a good lot in life. Um, they, yeah. They, one kills himself one gets his balls cut off they were born in the south at the wrong time for sure and then the other is special but then okay and this is like this is probably the weirdest or most controversial part of the novel the last section of the novel focuses mainly on their black servant dilsey who's um like kind of seen as like long suffering and she has like seen this family um now to the like point of ruin where it's like you know Jason is like controlling and manipulative and cynical and like and Benji is is innocent but completely incapable and his family discusses him as if he's this uh this burden upon all of them and she's seen her resources get cut and her pay get cut but she doesn't really have any other alternatives because the you know the reconstruction in the south wasn't like it wasn't like there were a lot of opportunities for white people much less uh black people um but her section of the novel what's weird about it is that it's written in the third person Every other section of the novel is told first person from one of the brothers' perspective. Interesting. Isn't that weird? What do you feel like his uh, reasoning was to do that? You know, I struggle because in some of his other books, like in Light in August, he uh, he has like a bunch of um, like internal monologues from characters that are black. Um, and he ha- he certainly had like main characters and novels that were black, so it's not like he's he thinks it's a taboo for him as a white man to write from the perspective of a black person. Um, it's it's just it's interesting. Um, I it's it's almost like I want to say a little dehumanizing, like that she doesn't she doesn't get to speak for herself in the same way that the white male characters do it's problematic yeah so obviously he wasn't very pro woman when he wrote this he yeah i think you can tell from his uh his womanizing debauchery that he's you know notorious for that uh he he was probably not the most progressive about women <laughs> didn't have um, the too fond of the ladies <laughs> no, not a not a real 
progressive gent that William Faulkner. <laughs> then, then again, it was the South in the 1920s. So, yeah. Maybe that's the thing, though, is that he didn't want to obviously write from the perspective of a woman because he didn't really know that perspective. So it was like, I'm going to write, you know, more so like this is what the woman does instead of this is what she's thinking. Well, I mean, you'd, you'd think that, but in his very next novel, he writes from the first-person perspective of several women. And in other books, he's written from the perspectives of women as well. So it's an it's an interesting choice, you know? Um, so maybe he just hates Caddy in this book. Dilsey? Yeah, maybe he just hates Gildy. Daryl, if you're going to convince people that you've read this book, you need to have all of these characters and their complex <laughs> relationships down like the back of your hand, man. That's true. I was also going to make a comment that um, it sounds like these three brothers aren't really that big of a catch, so I can understand why Caddy would not really uh, hook up with any of them. You know, it's like, if I'm going to hook up with my brother, he's got to be really cool. He's got to be jacked, yeah. Yeah, he's got to be like a Harvard grad, totally jacked. You know, like, I want like a pre-marijuana Michael Phelps guy. You know, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I don't think there were any, like, real contenders in in the lot. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, no, I don't think so. But she obviously was uh, hitting it up with a lot of other guys around the neighborhood, not her brothers, yeah. though. And, I mean, think about when the, when the novel is set, too. It's set in 1928, so that's right after the stock market crash. Yep. So this is... This is um, after the Reconstruction in South, and then, you know, the stock market crash happens, too. So shit is even worse as of about a year before the events of this novel take place, or about six months before this novel takes place. Do you think Benji, when he heard about the stock market crashing, he was like, not the market that sells stocks. I was going to go buy two stocks tomorrow. <laughs> I was going to put all my money in flowers. What the what the dick? Oh shit. Like he literally thinks it's like stocks, you know, the the things that you put your head and arms in. <laughs> I was going to buy two stocks. Like a market that sells <laughs> stocks. No, there is actually a <laughs> reference of um in Jason's chapter, chapter 3, he uh he's like fervently checking his stock ticker to see how his uh his cotton stocks are performing um because of course he's from the south so he's betting on cotton well of course um, which yeah so uh it's actually like and it's not doing well it's, it's he's he's losing all his money basically he's losing his friggin' shirt on the cotton so well, obviously we're not we're rooting for Jason, but uh, he seems like a character that's not going to really be very redeemable, he, or yeah. has a lot of redemption. No, he's not. He's not a root worthy character. He's he's very mean to everyone around him. He's not the one that we're learning from. Yeah, he has this line in the novel. He's like, "Oh, I couldn't afford to go to Harvard." Then again, all they teach you at Harvard is how to jump in a lake when you don't know how to swim, which is how Quentin kills himself. So awesome! Uh, he, yeah, he's a 
He's a real fucking piece of work. I mean, they all are. Okay, but, so yeah. the three yeah. brothers are not doing well. Gildy's not doing well. Seems like uh, <laughs> Caddy's doing all right. She's living the YOLO life. She's a... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, well, she like she runs away, and then she um, she has a kid uh, that she names after Quentin, which gets really confusing because um, like anytime someone says her name, Benji, yeah, that's weird. Benji like gets confused. Benji thinks that she's Caddy, but people keep calling her Quentin, um, and it's and it's fucking with Benji's head. And yeah, yeah, that would fuck with me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and I'm not even special needs. Then Faulkner in uh, 1945 did this appendix about what happened to the Compson family. Oh. Uh, and he wrote that that Caddy had run away to um, Europe and married a jazz musician or something. And then she wound up being in... Um, in the company of like a German lieutenant lieutenant in like the 1940s. So like basically every important event in history is playing out through this family. And like, it's kind of intimated that Caddy might have dated like a Nazi officer. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like, and this librarian in town, like takes, takes the clipping to, to Dilsey and to Jason and she's just like, guys, we should go save her. And they're like, no, we don't care. We don't, we don't give a fuck about anything anymore. Not even incest. And um, so, was the jazz player a white jazz player? Um, presumably, I think so. I mean, European jazz. So awesome. See, so I was correct on my initial thought of what this yeah uh, book was all about. See. That's the appendix is what my story was, is that this white <laughs> jazz player, you know, struggling through the jazz community, and then he finds Caddy and goes, oh, shit, where'd you been all my life, bitch? And then he goes and becomes the greatest jazz player ever. I think I think one of his quotes is, if Dilsey would just accept me, then I would finally feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the end of the book. So the end of the book ends with that's that's an appendix that he wrote later the book actually it okay so it's like really symbolic every sunday benji drives by this one confederate statue the same Wait, benji can drive no 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 no. one of um one of dilsey's uh dilsey's grandson is charged with taking care of benji got it in in the present of the novel so he drives their carriage around the statue the same way every time, except he's just learning how to drive the carriage. So he takes Benji the wrong way, and then Benji starts crying, and Jason Jason hits the the kid who's named uh I think that's Varsh. I think that's his name. He he hits him and he takes over the carriage and he starts taking the circle back around the other way. But in the process of hitting Varsh, Jason breaks Benji's flower and so Benji's just crying and, and and it's it's symbolic of people experiencing uh the same thing from a different perspective and it sort of ties into this theme of uh you know anti-linear stream of consciousness narrative and and the confederate statue it's like this memorial of the supposedly great southern past that never truly was or if it was it was built on 
you know, lies and oppression. And yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a pretty good ending once you're able to wrap your mind around everything that happens as Benji is just sitting there with his broken flower, you know, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. So then after, when you finished this book, you, you felt great. You were like, man, I'm going to do something with my life now. Or were you like, oh man, what am, what, what, what is this world and why am I living in it? Yeah. I was like, I think I need uh, two razor blades and some bourbon, please. I'm going to I'm going to end it all right now. Basically, I mean, or were you also thinking, thank God, my sister's not that attractive? <laughs> yeah, I was I was definitely glad that my sister's a fugmo, um, you know, but I <laughs> I try and thank God every day for that. <laughs> no, my sister's very beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Um, no, uh, she's a butter family. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's hot but her family. <laughs> oh, that's mean, Daryl. Um eh. I forgive you. Eh. No, you're a very attractive man. Oh, thank you, Daryl. No comment. Um and uh it's it's the type of book that you read and it inspires you not because it's like it's building you up, but it's because it's like Oh my god, what a like what a deep and intimate and unflinching look into the human spirit at its most bizarre and depraved and hopeless and then at turns like cynically humorous or long-suffering and um you know the appendix when it says what what had happened to, to Dilsey throughout the course of this Compson history, it just says they endured. And it's, and it's sort of this thing about, um, you know, even though there's, there's all these, like all these flaws inherent in being a human that, you know, we, we continue unabated, you know, (laughs) for good, bad, and ugly. We, we, endure it could be worse yeah exactly it could just be one long scene describing the incest orgy that they had right you could have two special needs brothers that want to have sex with you (laughs) you ever think of that you both your parents could be cynical alcoholics and hypochondriacs at the same time all three of your brothers could have committed suicide you could have had a fourth brother looking up your skirt at your muddy panties. It's, yeah. Things can always be worse, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. You could have been raped by all three of your brothers and never had the sweet touch of consensual sex at all. Or you could just be any person that's alive in the year 2020 because... It's true. It's true. This shit is dark, dude. This shit is Faulkner novel dark <laughs> anymore. You know what I mean? No, I agree. And um, I'm now glad that I know so much more about this than before. So mm-hmm. before we shove on out of here and uh, I go tell everybody that I um, you know, know all about this, let's do a little reenactment or let's 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 take our imaginations elsewhere for just a brief moment and Mm -hmm. pretend that we're at a party. Ooh, okay. 
And I'm going to do this after every episode. So this is my newest segment. It's called Party Time. I'll be busting the moves and I'll be busting the rhymes. We'll be busting up laughing because it's party time. And now here's the setting. We're at a party. It's swanky, you know, cool party. We're all hey, nice hip party. people yeah. hanging out. Oh, so many hip yeah. people. And yeah, wow. I'm going to come up to you and ask you about this. And let's see right. how well I can bullshit this and make it seem like I know everything about it. Yeah. Try and try and not bring up incest. I dare you. <laughs> hey, this is a nice party. Some hip people here. Hey, what's going on, Zach? How you been? Man? Oh, hey, Daryl, man. I, I haven't seen you in a in a minute since the uh, since the quarantine started, man. Isn't it Isn't it great that we're at this party right now? It's so cool, man. I I didn't think we were ever going to uh, party in real life ever again. Yeah, I thought it was just all going to be that uh, house party app from now on and playing that knockoff version of uh, Cards Against Humanity on there. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, dude. I feel like the answers don't go in hard enough. No. I'm, I'm really upset. They could have they could have done a better job. It's true. Hey, you know what I did, though? Yeah. Uh, I was reading some uh, a new uh, a Faulkner book that I've never read before over the quarantine. Have you ever checked out The Sound and the Fury? Oh my, Daryl, that's that's like one of my favorite books. I love William Faulkner. Oh yeah, and I I've read The Sound and the Fury like three or four times. Yeah, it's one of my favorite books. Yeah, like I couldn't believe how pathetic Benji seemed. You know, throughout that whole book, like people just kept stepping and crushing mm-hmm. his flowers, and he was just like a little bitch about it. I mean, what a idiot, right? Yeah, I mean. I mean, he he is literally an idiot, so you know it's you kind of have to forgive it, you know. I know. I, I, I when I call him an idiot, that feels like re- it's a little redundant. Yeah, I think that was the medical definition of Benji's condition at that time in history. They were like they they just like stamped his birth certificate. That I'm so glad we can still call people idiots. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it should probably be PC policed at this point, right? I do feel like we should probably not call people idiots, especially if we're calling them uh, idiots because of their special needs. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think that that's, that's fair considering. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of words are that way. Like, aren't moron and ignoramus the exact same, pretty much? That's true. Yeah. Hey, and you know who was a moron and an ignoramus was uh, his other brothers, Jason and Quentin. I mean, those guys, right? What a pair, right? What a pair of morons and ignoramuses, for sure. Like That's what I always what's say. What's up the, with him, like, killing himself in Chapter 2? What the fuck? Yeah, dude. Like, learn to swim when you're at Harvard, right? Yeah. It's like his brother said, you know, like... <laughs> oh, Jason. <laughs> You know that that one phrase that he said <laughs> towards yeah. the end? Yeah, dude. That was savage. I was like, "Oh, Jason, you're brutal. Like, don't jump in the water if you can't if you don't know how to swim." Yeah, right? dude. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I can't remember the exact quote myself, but yeah, he's <laughs> he's a monster for sure. Yeah. And but I felt like the most relatable to like the sister Caddy. I mean, there's been so many times where like 
like I've had my siblings want to have sex with me and I've had to tell them no so like when I was reading this it felt really like oh man I totally understand where she's going through yeah I mean you, I know just from looking at you you gotta you know beat your sister off with a stick or you know just beat her off you know whatever did you say stick or dick I said stick. Okay. But I wish I said dick. It's a little really loud do. in this party. I can't hear you, you know. Like, yeah. I, I thought you said dick, and that would be weird if no, I had to beat her off with that. I was I was saying that you were beating off with your dick, and you were beating her off with a stick. Like, you were you were getting her off right, with, like, a right. broomstick. Yeah. Just like Caddy did, like, with the guy that was in the, the where she got all muddy. Yeah, yeah. That's fucking Dalton names am I right yeah yeah I forgot about that guy that was a sweet name I want to name my next kid Dalt Reigns yeah it doesn't it feel like it'd be a really cool like chill wave DJ name like Dalton Ames you know yeah and that seems like a guy with a beanie and a mustache you know? <laughs> yeah he seems like a, he'd be either a politician or a porn star yeah 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 where does Dalton name right mm-hmm. Dalton names on her face Every single time. Right, exactly. Yeah. Man, dude. and I also felt like, you know, like this this story, when I was reading it, it was just like, man, this is like the human condition. Like the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, man, I can feel for these this is this is hard, rough times for people. I mean, it's it is hard, but how did you feel then about the I mean, if you're sympathizing so much with the white characters, how did the last chapter make you feel, Daryl? I mean, I felt a little uneasy, How, uh, but I also felt like, you know that one character, that uh, Darby or Dolby? Oh, Dilsey. Dilsey. Yeah. Dilsey? Yeah. Yeah. I read the book. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't ever uh, think that I didn't. Uh, but that character, she definitely went through some shit. Yeah, no, right? I definitely related to her because, I mean, she didn't really have a, a lot of, like, you know, resolve either. And, and, except, I mean, I was told that there's an appendix, and, 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 and then she gets some resolution through that, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, she gets she gets those uh, those two lines, right? But, I mean, that sort of... It's, it's the last lines of the appendix, so you have to think that that's, that's like, the taste that, you know... Willy Hillbilly Falk Balls wants to leave in your mouth, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally cool. I mean, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm a better person for reading this, and also, like, I kind of understand humans better. Yeah, I mean, I think you should just walk around telling everyone that you are better than them because you've read it. Oh, of course, that's what I'm doing right now to you. I mean, I just wanted to show you how cool I am by yeah. saying that I read this. Dude, that's the only reason anyone reads books is so that they can feel superior oh, right. to their fellow man. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do a podcast yeah. about this earlier or, or, or write or, or read Wikipedia. No, I, I actually sat down and read this with a brandy snifter underneath a fireplace. It was really nice. Yeah, no, I mean, that's how that's how everyone reads their uh, their novels unless they're a goddamn Philistine. Yeah, right? Hey, I'm gonna get um, speaking of uh, brandy snifters, I'm gonna um, top it off by uh, my little drinky poo right here. Um, 
and uh, and talk to some other people. It's good seeing you, though. I'll, I'll, hey, I'll swing back around. Yeah, totally. Tell me if you uh, read any other books anytime. Okay. Oh, of course. Duh. Yeah, man. You gotta gotta Pound let me know. Fuck nerds for life. Fuck nerds. What up? I'm gonna fuck her over there. <laughs> she looks down to fuck, dude. You should go for it. <laughs> okay. See, clearly. Uh, that was so well orchestrated. I assume you thought I really had read that book, right? I mean, yeah, the the character that I was portraying was pretty pretty sure that you had at least bought the the Cliff's notes. You you were getting into some uh some awesome some symbolism and some motif shit. You were you were even trying to like whip out a like oh yeah, you know that one thing that Jason says or you you know, I'm paraphrasing, but uh it was yeah, it was it was pretty convincing. You had you had some nice flourishes in there, Daryl. Well, I'm confident that if I were to ever go to a real party, like if somebody asked me if I've read this, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, dude, do it. You got to let people know that you're better than them every opportunity you get. Mhm. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to let them walk into their demise. I'm not going to just bring it up willy-nilly, but if they ask me, I'm not going to I'm going to lie and say yes because I'm pretty confident that I don't have to lie. I think it'd be really funny if you like walked into parties and you just like unzip your your hoodie and like a copy of The Sound and the Fury falls out and you're like, "Oh, all right. How did, how did that get here this book that I've read several times? Just some <laughs> first edition. What you haven't?" <laughs> well, aren't you an ignoramus? That's a medical term. Yeah. Oh, you haven't heard of Billy Faulkner? Yeah, I call him Billy because we're so close. I know. I have such an intimate relationship with a uh, Billy Hill Willie Faulknery that uh <laughs> yeah. We we slam like that. We fuck our sisters. Oh hell yeah, dog. All right. Uh, Zach, I guess, man, that's the first uh, episode right here in the books. I uh, thank you for coming on to Don't Spare the Details. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been great. Thank you for having me, man. So glad to talk about it. Hell yeah. Well, hopefully I'll have you on and you can discuss more things or maybe I'll, uh, you know, discuss with you uh, a favorite of mine that you've never seen. Uh, maybe the Goonies. Who knows? Yeah, maybe the Goonies. <laughs> we'll go from the Sound and the Fury to the Goonies. I'm sure that'll that'll be a cultural whiplash. Yeah. Hey, I mean, if there's a theme of special needs people, um, I think that's our, our through line throughout this show. We got to follow it. I think you should really try to pursue that. Yeah, it can. It and, can. Uh, I don't think anyone will get offended. Yeah. We can hit all of the greats. We can hit. Yeah, mice of men, flowers for an Algernon, uh, Forrest Gump. The list goes on and on. Radio. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape? I am Sam. Yeah, I mean the list goes on and on. Not too long, but still. There are more titles to... The Ringer. You can't forget The Ringer. Oh, that's right. The Ringer. Gosh. So many more episodes to get on. But guys, thank you for tuning in. Um, please follow this show wherever the notes tell you to go. And uh, where can we follow you, Zach? Uh, yeah. My uh, my Instagram handle is at Zach's Snacks, Z-A-X-X-S-N-A-X-X. Uh, you can see I post all my shows there when we get back to having shows. Uh, I'm also starting a morning show that's running on Zoom right now. Um, that's called Morning Norm. Uh, and you can catch that on my Facebook page. I'll be posting that. And you can also follow my Facebook page at 
Zach Hillman comedy. I think that's what it is. I just made it like a couple of days ago. Cool. Awesome. Zach, you're always a mensch. You're my favorite person to talk to, especially when it comes to recording and on microphones. You're one of my favorite people to talk to, too, Daryl. I'm, I'm not going to keep going. I know this is the end, but yeah. <laughs> you're, you're delightful. I love you. I would have incest with you. Awesome. I would, too. Mm, man, <laughs> t- man, in another life, hopefully we're brothers. Yeah, that would be delicious. We could have, uh, or sisters, who knows. Hey. So on that note, guys, uh, I haven't found a, a ending tagline, so I'm going to just try new things until it sticks. Uh, how about this one? Guys, if you're telling a story at a party, don't spare the details. Beep.